Welcome back to episode two of It's Still Good on Tuesday, and we're glad that you're listening here on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day you're listening. We welcome you back. We're excited that uh, that you've joined us once again, or some of you are for the first time finding us, so uh, we're glad that you're along today. This is going to be a good conversation I think we're going to be able to have, and, uh, and we're going to enjoy unpacking some things this afternoon. We've got we've got our two. This this is our youth ministry team yep. sitting with me in this in this series, and uh, really really glad to have uh, Jason and Dan along with us. Uh, nobody uh, needs introduction, I guess, to Jason Stanlin and Dan Elkins, but they probably want to know what is your favorite beverage. What what is the your are you favorite a cold beverage. or a hot <laughs> beverage? What is your favorite? Why beverage? did you choose the word beverage? <laughs> I just said beverage. Drink. Okay, drink sounded a little bit more yeah, edgy. Yeah, so yeah, might be so for let's go verse, beverage. You know, verse, verse seven. Yeah. Seven, 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 seven. No, I'm trying. I'm setting you up. No, oh, I'm setting you up good. for that. Uh, coffee, one hundred percent. One hundred percent coffee. Yeah, okay. I, what kind of coffee? What's your favorite? Oh, um, so I'm kind of a coffee snob. I like. Okay. I like doing all sorts of things, but yeah. I've learned that I like certain coffees made certain ways. Okay, wow. So okay. I'll do single origin pour overs and stuff like that. So okay. I had a, I had a best I, coffee, best cup of coffee you ever had. Or ooh, man. Okay, so there's this local company in Jacksonville called Young Buck yeah. Coffee. Oh, okay, you're a Young they Buck. They have guy. Yeah. a yeah. espresso blend. Maybe we need to see if we really get them to good. sponsors. Maybe right. they'll sponsor us. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, their family goes to church. We need sponsors. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hey, Ryan, we need a sponsor. Okay, all right. Good deal. Dan, how about you? What's favorite so beverage? I, yeah, I, I will drink a cup of coffee here or there, but oh, my I've never seen yeah. it. Just wow. my drink of of choice is um, Coca Cola. That's right. Really? That would like probably straight be straight up Coca Cola. Yeah, I, I really enjoy a Code Red Mountain yeah. Dew uh, as well. Wow. But probably Coca Cola. No, I, I can wow. affirm that because like I'll have had my coffee in the morning. We're like on a conference or something like that, yeah. and off we go to the 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 conference driving down the road. He's like, all right, we got to find. A Circle K or Seven Eleven or something. We gotta find it. And he comes out with. What were you a drinking when you walked in here, Mike? What were you drinking? It was a Mountain Dew. Mountain yeah. Dew. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. you so you were compromising. Yeah. He's that, a good so. uh, bastard. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll drink yeah. whatever's available. Man, you guys, you guys <laughs> reach for the quick energy. Yeah. 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 Well, well, I think everybody knows I'm a coffee. I'm a, I'm a coffee guy. I like I like a nice medium roast, just full bodied cup of coffee. I just yeah. like black coffee, nothing in it, just fancy, yeah. you know, nothing fat. Just but but a nice blend of coffee. When was when did you have your first cup of coffee. Well, you know you? what? My parents drank coffee all the time, and I started drinking coffee when I was like three, I think. Yeah. I, you know, I was like using, it was like half milk and half coffee, you know, mm-hmm. and then I guess as I got older, I just kind of weaned off the milk, mm-hmm. and it was just coffee. So, uh, but they always had a pot of coffee on it. It was just constant in my house growing up. So it was, you know, just kind of early on, I guess. But uh, anyway. Uh, and you, you, know, you know, they used to sell Coca-Cola in drugstores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only yeah. in drugstores. You can yeah. only get it as a only as a drug. Yeah, only in drugstores. Yeah. Right. And they sell gasoline in drugstores too. Yeah. So you can get gas and 
Yeah. Coca-Cola, so, same place. And, you know, and one stop, medicine. one stop shopping. So, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that reminds me, there was this uh, pharmacy out in Panhandle where I went to college. And it had the gun store on the left and the pharmacy on the there right. There you go. <laughs> and literally, I was like, wait a second. I, this is uncomfortable. Guns and bandages. There <laughs> we go. Right. There we go. All right. Well, guys, we're going we're gonna to dig back in uh, where we kind of left off a little bit this morning. I'd, I'd talked uh, a little bit in the message in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 about spiritual authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about spiritual authority, and then we talked about institutional authority. And uh, the last thing we talked about was moral authority, and that moral authority is where we get into the details and the, really into the weeds of you know the, the small print of what does it look like, what are the characteristics, what are the qualities, qualifications of a pastor. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to kind of dive back into because, uh, again, I opened that closet door and all the stuff fell out. And uh, so we're going to put it all back in place today. That's what we're going to try to do (laughs) in our time. And maybe. We're going to try to do that. So I hope you guys are loaded up on your coffee and Coca-Cola and we're ready to... Ready to roll into it, but but let me read. Let me read one more time, just just to remind us where we are. After Titus was uh, commanded by Paul, you know, appoint elders in every town, um, and then the qualifications start in verse six. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, uh, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, if you're, if you're sitting with someone, you're going to go, okay, well, let's, let's talk to this person about the possibility of their coming as a pastor. How do you get into this conversation? How do you you know, how do you just open that door and say, well, I really need to talk to you about Titus 1, and uh, we need to walk through the, the list mm-hmm. here. It's also in Timothy, yeah. uh, First Timothy, and, and there's some, you know, kind of some overlap of some of the same things, but there's also some different stuff for elders and, lead, and you know, different kind of leaders. But how do you, how do you roll into this? How do we, you know, this, this is, number one, it's not multiple choice. Okay, so it's not like, boy, try to hit, you know, six out of nine of these. That'd be great. You know, it's not like who can who who has the most, you know, uh, you know, the question becomes, well, somebody has most of those. But, um, you know, there's one or two kind of weak on, you know, I I don't again, this is an idealistic kind of thing. It's very. But here's what I want to here's what I want to say at the outset. What we have here on this list uh, is is a list of things that that I, I believe it was Watchman Nee who used to say this is normal Christianity. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's nothing. You don't have to be a superhero to pull these things off. This is not like you need some kind of superpower to make this. I mean, this this is this is what an ordinary Christian should look like. And if we don't look like that, then we're sliding under whatever the metric is for ordinary, okay? But this is, again, this is ordinary Christianity. This is not like just for the leaders. Uh, these things should only be true just of leaders. So how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you respond to that? What do you? 
So I've been thinking about that um, question this week, and to me, it's kind of like this is like our spiritual background check, if okay. you will, for yeah. like a pastor. Okay. Like, so when I'm recruiting somebody for the student ministry, we have mm-hmm. the background check. Mm-hmm. But that's like step number one. If you don't pass the background check, then you're definitely not serving with minors. Right. But that doesn't mean just because you do pass the background check that you should serve in my ministry. You mm-hmm. may not have bought into the vision of what we're trying to do. Yeah. You may not have the temperament for working with middle mm-hmm. schoolers. Mm-hmm. And so, like, to me, this is like base one. If you want to be a pastor, you at least need to yeah. be at the, at this level. Um, but, I mean, then there's so many other concepts like, all right, m- maturity, you know, experience, uh, calling. I mean, this, this assumes that someone's called mm-hmm. to be a pastor and— um, you know, we probably ought to at least have a conversation with that individual. Like, tell me, how do yeah. you know that God wants you to do this? Because um, in my experience, if you're not called to the ministry, you're not going to make it. Yeah, yeah. That's that. That really should be the thing that gets you there, and the thing that mm-hmm. keeps you there. Is so, who calling. do you who do you ask these? I mean, right. I can sit down here and say, okay, so so Jason Stanlin, let me take you through this list. You know, my guess would be. Your answers, you, you may, you, again, you may be a lot harder on yourself than you need to oh, be, sure. or you may be, you know, a little, a little bit easier on yourself than you need to be. How, how, how do you find these things? I, how do you, who do you talk to? How do you I, find yeah, these things? I, I think you, you know? can talk to the individual. I think you, though you can't yeah. just like pull out this list and say, we're just going to yeah. go through yeah. one through yeah. 10. I think you just ask what seems like yeah. normal questions. Like, tell yeah. me, tell me how you met your wife. Tell mm-hmm. me. You know, tell me about your kids. What what do they like to do? Mm-hmm. Tell me what what it's like mm-hmm. in the home. Like you're you're asking questions to try to get some answers from them that might, um, you know, tell me about your yeah. weaknesses. Where where have yeah. you seen the most growth in the last you know five years? I think the answers to those types of questions can can give you a little bit of a peer into, but you're really gonna have to you're really gonna have to talk to people that will give you an honest. Well, I mean, if you're, going to, if you're going to go start with number one, if, you, if you're going to say, are you above reproach? Well, and, you know, number one, in your opinion, you're going to either think, yes, I am, because you're not aware of somebody who has a problem with something that you've done. Sure. Uh, or if you are aware of it, you're going to try to mm-hmm. shove that under the rug. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I, there's no, you know, I, I, there's nothing like that in my life. Uh, you know, again, these are these are hard things to get to, and and you know, this, this makes the 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 job of mm-hmm. uh, you know searching for a pastor a little bit more difficult because you're you're really having to take people's word for stuff that you don't even know. Yeah. You know, if we don't know this candidate or we don't know really their area that they're in, and or you whatever. mentioned in the sermon so. that this was not a job description. Right. Like this is this, right. there's no expectation right. that there is any pastor that's ever lived that has fulfilled these things a hundred percent. So you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find out what what is the character of the person that you're mm-hmm. you're interviewing, you're talking to, you're exploring, you're praying about. What, yeah. what does what is he like? Yeah. You know, most you know mm-hmm. the vast majority yeah. of the time. What is his character like? What okay. what how is well, he when exactly. there when you're not interviewing right. him or talking to him? Right. Or, well, and I mean that's also when it comes down to ordination of a pastor mm-hmm. or sure. you know where you've been like. So my first church, um, they said, we would like to call you to be the student pastor mm-hmm. if your home church will ordain you. Yeah. And it was sort of like, you know, some people have different feelings about mm-hmm. that, but it was sort of like if the people who really know you and know your family and know right. your background affirm that you should be a pastor, then we'll go with that. And so, and I know that doesn't carry mm-hmm. on for every church, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's this idea that the church kind of becomes a gate, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, the above reproach piece, like... 
what if the entire community and, and the church is like, no, I don't, I don't think that guy is above reproach. Yeah. yeah. Then yeah, you should not hire him. You know. To well, be I had, I, and and I I agree with that. You know, I had my home church ordained me. Hmm. Um, my the church that I was going to, you know, said you need to, you you need to be ordained, mm-hmm. and they said we're willing to do it. And I said, I, you know, I, I would rather my home church do it for a couple of reasons. One is I knew my pastor well enough, and he knew me that I knew if he saw a problem, he would be the kind of guy that would say, yeah, you're not ready for that yet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I went through the toughest ordination council that I had. I'm yet to be a part of an ordination council that was tougher than the one that they, I mean, they were asking me questions. That, I mean, I literally, deer in the headlight, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't, I thought, I have no idea, you know. So it, it was tough. And I mean, I'm sitting here with guys that had raised me in Sunday school and been with me through years of middle school and all the stuff that I'd done. You know, I mean, they were sitting there looking at me and, and they were going to be the guys that, that laid hands on me. And I've got, you know, still got the ordination Bible and all their names in it. Mm. Uh, my dad's name's in there, you know. That's cool. But I mean, you know, when you have, you know, when, when you have people that know you to say, we see these things to be to be true. You know, I felt better about myself, honestly, because I thought, well, I'm not just sitting here with a bunch of people that barely know me or that are going to pass me through no matter what. And I knew they wouldn't. And I knew even my dad sitting in the room, if they said, you know, he's not ready yet, I wouldn't have, I would have walked out of there and not been ordained. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so anyway, I think that's good. You know, it's, it's how do you find the people? And, and it's not like you got to be Snoopy and, and you know, you know FBI's here kind of thing. It's not like we're going to go, you know, digging deep, deep, deep into people's lives. But but some of these things that I'm looking, I'm going, how do you just straight up ask somebody, you know? Um, and uh, it, it's just it's just kind of a tough thing, I think, in some ways. But, again, we have, we have this, we have these guardrails. This is what it's supposed to look like. This person is... You know, it's not that anybody can be accused of anything. So it's not, you sure. know, this, the, the above reproach doesn't mean, you know, there's never been an accusation because people can say whatever they want to say. And, you know, that doesn't mean it's proven. It just means they've said it. So therefore, you know, there's mm-hmm. that possibility rolling. But, but, uh, but I think that, you know, if you just bring in somebody, and I've dealt with guys, and you guys have too in ministry, where you just go, this, I mean, this guy's reputation is terrible. And then somebody comes in and says, hey, we think you ought to be a deacon. Or, well, mm. maybe not. You know, maybe that's not, a, yeah. maybe that's not the best thing for right yeah. now. So you kind of have to push back a little bit on those kind of things. And, but uh, so the above reproach, again, that's, that's uh, almost like, what's the public opinion? You know, is there, is there, some rolling, you know, gossip train out here or something going on. Some You're hearing things continually about this person that really would not be fitting of a, of mm-hmm. a leadership position. That may be part of that. And then we get into this whole husband of one wife thing. So, boy, mm-hmm. we just roll into that really early. And this is one of the two that I think will, will be hot buttons for us to deal with. Why do you uh, feel that way? Mm-hmm. Why do I feel that way? Well, <laughs> let me talk about that. Well, there's actually there's three. There's three that will be. But anyway, so let's talk about it. Husband of one wife, uh, again, as I, as I mentioned, is, is a literal translation of the Greek, which is literally, if you, if you really transliterate, you know, just bring the, the Greek into full, you know, just a literal translation, it means a one-woman kind of man. You know, which, okay, so what does that mean? This is a confusing phrase. I, I had a guy, I ordained a guy as a deacon one time, and um, 
and we were going through the ordination process, and we just had a checklist, and one of the things on the checklist was, are you the husband of one wife? Now, this guy had a—I mean, he was a deep—he was a—he was just freshly—you know, he was, he was kind of just really out of— a non-church background, you know, kind of a lost word. He really, really a great. I, I, I mean, just a guy I really liked. He's a good guy, and he ended up being a great deacon. But he totally, you know, he answered the question, yes. Well, I found out later he'd been divorced a couple of times, mm-hmm. you know. And I said, man, why did you tell us? Mm-hmm. You well, he said, well, I only have one wife. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Only had one wife at one time. Yeah. Yeah. So again, there's just there's there's just a lot of misunderstanding about the phrase, and most of the controversy that we have with it comes from things that is probably not saying. You know, there. I mean, we've we have somehow moved the issue of well, that means the person who's being ordained, cannot, let's, let's just walk into it, cannot be divorced, mm-hmm. you know, cannot have been previously married, that kind of thing. And, and, I'm not, and I'm not making a case for that one way or the other here. I'm simply saying this phrase does not say that. It is not an implication. It is not, a, it is not inferring that mm-hmm. the person can never have been divorced. Because mm-hmm. what that's implying then is if you did not biblically, scripturally divorce a wife— and then you married somebody else. That means you got two wives. And I'm, that's that is not what the Bible teaches. That is absolutely not at all the case here. So what we're dealing with is again, and here here's the thing: this whole catalog of characteristics is character. Mm-hmm. It's not history. Mm-hmm. You know why would in all these all these things that talk about the character of the candidate? Why would all of these things be listed, and then all of a sudden there's just one weird thing that says, oh, check his history out to see if he's been divorced? That's not what it's talking about. Now, again, don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. I'm not, sure. I'm not making a big case here. I, you know, I've known guys you know, that have been in ministry that have been divorced, and they have, they have great ministries. They have a great marriage. They had a great mm-hmm. marriage. You know, I mean, they went through—I had one guy that I knew as a friend of mine. He had gone through—he spent fifty dollars to $60,000 in counseling trying to get his wife to stay with him, and, and the marriage still ended. So, you know— Everybody that goes through divorce is not it's not always the same kind of thing. Sure. I think and, and I think it was Danny Aiken that tied together, he said, you know, we, what we need to tie together here is the word, you know, we, we need to tie that phrase to the word blameless. They need to be a blameless person. So the question is, was this person blameless? Right. Yeah, in in the, in the ending of the marriage, that kind of thing, you know. So there's that possibility. So I think I think the question that would come up to a lot of our listeners, especially given this kind of framework of, yeah. of looking, if you're looking for a pastor, is yeah. okay. We don't cut through it. Like we don't want to know could any pastor pastor anywhere and be divorced. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like should we, if we're looking for a pastor, should we? Yeah. Should that be a non-negotiable? Right. That they've never been divorced. Right. 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 Yes or no, and I think what you're saying is, I think how however the details of how it happened, yeah. what what the situation is, would vary from person to person, and it would tell a lot about the character mm-hmm. of the man to know that was well, he well, saved, say, was and, he saved yeah, before and, yeah, or after? Yeah, sure, and it could have been pre-salvation, that kind of thing, uh, and that happens. But here's here's the thing. Here's all I'm saying, and and again, 
if a church and the church has to make this, I think there's some grace here. Mm-hmm. If there's if the church makes that decision to say, well, yeah, we'd be okay with that, or we'd be okay. I mean, the church, you know, technically, if this says you have to be a one a husband of one wife, I got disqualified five years ago when my wife died. True. Because in that in that on that day that she died, I'd ceased to have a wife. Mm-hmm. So I should have resigned, and she says, so "Well, I'm done," little. you know, because I'm not, you know, I'm not the husband of one wife. And there are churches, there are churches not too far from here who will actually have deacons and other leaders resign if they're if they're not married, if they if they you know if they leave their wife because of a divorce, or she leaves him, or you know his or wife passes away, mm-hmm. they they have to they step out of leadership because they don't qualify for the specific wording here. So all I'm arguing with this, the only thing I'm arguing, again, I'm not arguing for what's not in here. I'm arguing for what it does say, and it does say that this person needs to be a person who is committed to his marriage, committed to his wife, and therefore you're closing the door of the possibility of accusations of, of sexual infidelity or anything else, you know, I think this also can very easily apply to move into somebody who's struggling with it. Somebody comes in and says, man, I've just had a lifelong problem with pornography. I'm going to, I'm going to say, let's, let's take a step. Let's yeah. take a step back here yeah. and look really hard because I'm telling you, in your mind, you're not a one-woman man if you're mm-hmm. struggling with pornography. You're, you have other women on the screen. Mm-hmm. And and so there's a problem with that in my mind. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, I almost see that as a disqualification in, in terms of just the character piece of this, which is, are you committed to your wife? Are you committed to one man or could, to one wife? Couldn't you tell a lot? I mean, couldn't you tell about a lot about a candidate for any position, not just yeah. senior pastor, yeah. based on the relationship that man has with his wife? Yeah, I, oh, yeah. I, I think Absolutely. it makes it's yeah. difficult in a in a search process and mm-hmm. an interview process to to ask some of those. Yeah. It is very, question, t- and, and of course, that's, I mean, we're, that's why we're looking but, at, you know, I mean, doesn't our wives know us more than anybody else? At the same the time, the guy is seeking the position. Yeah. Like, in yeah. some ways, it's like, yes, we may have approached him, but if he reciprocates and is seeking the position or mm-hmm. seeking the role of a pastor, mm-hmm. you've kind of opened yourself up to some scrutiny. And yeah. you have yes, to be and you have to be ready to for that. that. Right, right, right. Um, when it comes to the marriage piece, you know, I see it more as, um, how is he leading in his home? Because how he's leading well, his home. Well, and that's why, and you know, I think it was Brian Chapel that gets into this. And he said, this is not the piece about marriage and about the children being, you know, and, and the question about believers is really there's a translation issue there is that they have to be believers or they are faithful. They're not, in other words, are they faithful to their to their father and their family? Or are they believers in and in the way? Are they following Jesus? So there's there's yeah. really some debate about what that means. The ESV just goes ahead and says they have to be believers. Yeah. But that's a that's a that's a judgment call. That's not yeah. necessarily absolutely at every time. But but what Chapel says is that this has to do with the tenor of the home. This is about how's the home life. If his home life is a train wreck, your church is going to be a train wreck. Yeah. That's what this means. And if he can't manage his wife and his children mm-hmm. who watch him, and then I'm going to tell you, sometimes, you know, I know pastors have problems with their kids. I get that. Sometimes pastors have problems. Their, their wife has a problem. You know, their wife was maybe not in ministry. They were not in ministry when they got married. My wife was, you know, she was, I mean, she struggled with me being in ministry because, I mean, she just, you know, that was just not who she was when we, when we got married. 
And, you know, she got there. She was fine. I mean, she really loved it before it was over with. But it took her a while to transition into that role where she could go, okay, I can I can be all right with mm-hmm. this. But that was not something she ever saw coming. And sometimes we do that. We blindside our family, our wives, and say, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, I'm going into ministry, and here we go. We're going back to school, and we're going to sell everything. And, yeah. you know, and you're going to be poor. And every, You know, I mean, it's just like, what? You know, where, where did this come from? So, so some of that is, but if you got, if you have a, a wife and children who look at their father and their husband and go, I'm not going to follow him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they need to be your, you know, your fans almost, and you're, you're like you're the best people. Boy, we loved, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Dad. We know things are tough there at the church, somehow, but we love you. We're proud of you. We're glad, you know. And I, and again, I was very blessed to have that. I, it's, so it's yeah. really, it's really hard for me to read myself into a situation where that's not the case. But, but sometimes it's not. And so the question becomes, at which point do you look at a guy's home life and say, Yeah, man, that I mean, that's just not good, well, you I, know? And I think there's a maybe a selfishness to the church mm-hmm. when they should think about this guy. If he's not leading in his marriage well, he's not going to lead you as a husband right. in the church to lead in your marriage well. Right. If his kids are wild and crazy yes. and he doesn't put any parameters on that, he's going to do the same thing yeah. and let your kids have those crazy mm-hmm. parameters. Mm-hmm. And now it becomes controversial. Like, okay, if mom and dad say I can't do this, mm-hmm. but the youth pastor or the pastor says yeah. I can yeah. do this, that puts him in conflict with the local mm-hmm. body. And so I look at it, you know, again... It, Yes, there is the negatives, like, you know, husband of one wife, you know, never been divorced. So there's the negatives that we could run through the tallies and check. Yeah, yeah. But it's more of like, man, where do you want a guy to lead you in your marriage? Yeah. Where do you and, want and a guy the, to lead and you really, in your And family? the pastor ends up being, whether you want to be or not, and, and whether you're a good one or a bad one, you end up being a model for Peter. Mm-hmm. And they're going, okay, that's the kind of marriage we should have. That's the kind of parents we should be. Those kind of things are in play in people's minds whether they ever say it out loud or not, or whether anybody talks to you before you come to the church and says, oh, by the way, that's part of what you're going to do is be an example to these people. That's, that's, that's a, but it's an assumed. It's a given in Scripture. This is going to be, this is why Titus is told, find, you know, find somebody whose family life is, is not a shambles, you know, it's not a train wreck, and make sure that they're doing okay with do their marriage. You, do and you think kids. that this is, one of the reasons why this is so important is because there are, there sometimes is an assumption that if this guy has been a pastor for five mm-hmm. or ten years and there, he's not in the newspaper, he yeah. hasn't any, had any major, then this stuff's probably okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll focus on is he a good preacher? Is he a good administrator? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of personality focus does he have? Yeah. Right. Yeah. When in essence, That's if you're right. looking for a new pastor or if a church out there is looking for a new youth pastor, I mean, this stuff is probably... Just have it if just as if not more important oh, that so. you don't well, have somebody I, I, that a year down the road, five years down, falls on his face and, and brings shame yeah. to the church in the name yeah. of Christ. And, and I don't think this is a pyramid of importance here, but yeah. uh, but I think it is important that man, this thing shows up quick. You know, you mm-hmm. okay, boy, the husband, you you make sure the family, you know, uh, Titus, you know, Paul's writing, you know, mm-hmm. Titus, make, you know, make sure they're not not a person with bad reputation. Make sure the family's okay. I mean, this is like a big deal. It's the very beginning of what Titus is told to do. So, you know, that that to me says some things. And we could get into a whole lot of stuff here. I mean, there's a real can of worms that get opened up in, in terms of how 
how should children look? You know, I mean, how do you how do you guarantee? Well, I guarantee, boy, if I come here as your pastor, my you'll my kids will never get out of line. There. Come on, but there's no parent in their, in their right fail. mind. Okay. Yeah, there's no parent in their right mind that would ever yeah. say that. How in the yeah. world would you say that? You right. can't say that about any kid. You can't no. do that. You can't do that to them or to yourself. There, the, you know. So at which point now this is so he's using extreme words. Are they are they guilty of the are they are they just like living this profligate mm-hmm. debauchery kind of lifestyle? Is it mm-hmm. or insubordinate? They just completely ignore you, completely disrespect you, and any dis, any rebellion is disrespect. Any disobedience is disrespect of the parent. Yeah. But this is talking about a a consistent. You know that's what I'm saying. You got a leader. And they got four or five kids, and they're all off the rails, and they're all doing it. You're yeah. going, man, I don't want you to lead my church. Well, I don't want you in any you, kind of leadership. You said role, that this you know? morning, that, that that means that there's a systemic issue. Yes, in and, the that's what, and that's if what I think is being pointed to here. you that went wayward. You're going to have and I you're mean, going to have that. we can't time, control you know? how our children no. sin as much as we would like to, yeah, but yeah. we can't. And, and if you could just you know nail them shut in their bedrooms and leave them there until they grow up, then you know that would that would about guarantee that won't be a problem. But but you know that's not going to happen, and and you have to you know you're you're and, you know, you're going to have different levels of kids that need different levels of attention. You're going to have some kids that just need a whole lot of attention from dad mm-hmm. and some kids that just don't want you to show up in their life at all, hardly. So you've got a sliding scale of that, and some have very low-maintenance kind of kids. Some have very, very—you've got to spend a lot of time with them to keep them on the, on the track. But anyway, let's go on uh, because there's other stuff. And, I, and there's really—I mean, all of these are really good. And, and folks, really, if you want to write, if you're really struggling with something on this— you know, give us give us a call. Why don't you email Dan at fruitcode.com and he'll be glad to to straighten it out for you. For an overseer, God's steward must be above reproach. Here comes again. So this this is sand, this kind of bookmarks bookends the uh, the family piece above reproach. You know, personally, probably above reproach in terms of the family. Uh, and then it goes into more character pieces. He must not be arrogant, quick tempered. Uh, you know, let me let me say this again, just as a counselor. A person who has a problem with anger is one of two things. Either, number one, they're depressed. Because men with depression, the, the, one of the number one symptoms of male depression is anger. It's just like, where does it come from? It's just like, he's just mad all the time. I hear that from women sometimes. You know, he's just over nothing. He'll just be, or pick a fight or just mm-hmm. whatever. Well, that can sometimes be a symptom of depression. Get checked. You know, mm-hmm. get medication, get get something to help, you know, because you can deal with that. Some people are, again, when, when this is tied together, you know, I noticed it was, this is tied together, arrogant and quick-tempered, tied together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so there's an overlap between a person who is, you know, an arrogant person is a person who does exactly what Jesus told us not to do, and that is don't lord it over people. Yeah. You know, the arrogant person is you better do what I say. The arrogant person is the pastor that terrorizes his staff. Okay, he. I mean, it's just like they're afraid to. You know, they're. I mean, it's just like it's a, you know a CEO that just you know will walk into a board meeting and lose his mind and lose his temper and fire three people just because he's had you know the wrong breakfast. So, so you've got people that have that kind of quick you know hair trigger kind of temper mm-hmm. temperament. Uh, but it goes with an air. You know, sometimes that arrogance is an effort to control, and when you don't get your way. Mm-hmm. When you try to control something, it doesn't go your way. You respond with with that temper. Mm-hmm. So some of that is, and and listen, and you see it, I see it. You know, we read about it. Unfortunately, after the fact, after the damage is done in ministry, you know, you got a guy that said, you know, I mean, I've t- you know, I've heard of guys where their leadership board put them on leave because, man, you got to get your temper under control. 
you know, or, or, you know, you just really need to dial back on this arrogance. You can't, you know, but a lot of times those are in the same conversation thread. You know, you've got mm-hmm. arrogance and, and temper, anger, you know, out of control, anger, rage issues, those kind of things get tied together. So that's certainly, I think, a sign of a major problem. You got a guy, you know, you hear, you know, you're investigating, you're talking to somebody, and they, and man, you hear three or four people go, you know, he's a pretty good guy, but boy, he'll just lose his temper over nothing. Okay, big red flag. Yeah. You know, throw, throw the flag right there. That is a big moment to go, yeah, we maybe don't want to talk to this person. You know, right we've now. seen in this generation of some of the pastors of the largest churches in America in the last couple of decades, right? There have yes, been a number yes, that yes, have disqualified yes, themselves yes, yes, for yes. this, yes. you know. Um, Being a bully. Well, bully. and people Being are starting to, I think they're starting to realize that's not normal. That's not normative behavior. That's right. not that's not acceptable, certainly for a Christian leader to be that way. So you don't want to go in those directions. Yeah, I wonder, I've, all, I've wondered, is that, you know, is that something that, that has gotten worse over time? You know, is this kind of the temperament of the of the person to begin with? Well, if a church again, yeah. if a church is looking yeah. for a pastor for the next twenty or thirty years, mm-hmm. they obviously want to avoid a pastor who is, of course, is yeah. uh, arrogant mm-hmm. or quick tempered. Yeah. But maybe that doesn't come up in the interview. That doesn't come up even maybe in the first year or two. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is sometimes this could be a sign of 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 depression or or yeah, sin yeah, in that yeah, in that yeah. pastor's life but what would we be looking for to try to avoid cuz like the same yeah, thing you yeah. said before no you're not going to ask somebody hey are you are you quick tempered are you arrogant they're like yeah, yeah i am sometimes like no one's yeah, going to probably yeah, say that yeah. so yeah, how i'll yell at my tv at a game or something but and that's fine but i I'm, I'm just saying Again, we're talking a lot of this, like you said, we use the word systemic, uh, persistent, yeah. those kind of things. If we're seeing this repeatedly, you know, the, the other thing about anger is anger is always a response to a threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, angry people are threatened people. They are people who are easily threatened, which means they're insecure. So you're insecure, you're easily threatened. So when somebody criticizes you, yeah. and believe me, it happens. You will be criticized <laughs> in ministry, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, hello. You know, you're going to get criticized. People are going to say things that you're going to go, "Wow, where's that coming from?" And if you are a person who's insecure in yourself, uh, you, you're you're finding your identity in what you do rather than in Jesus, and and you're walking in that way, and then somebody shoots at you mm-hmm. some critical word or a you know comment. You know, your response to that is going to be to blow up yeah. and, 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 and respond in anger. That's what you do because you're protecting yourself. Yeah. Anger is a defense mechanism. It protects the insecure person yeah. from feeling threatened by what's going on. So, so there's that, that piece. And, I, you know, I don't want to dive into the deep end of that stuff. But that's, that's something that needs to be contended with. And then, and then let's, let me just cover this just so I can get this off my mind. Not a drunkard, not violent. Okay, so here's, here's number one. Um, I, I grew up in a period in a season of Baptist life when Baptists leaned really hard into the uh, prohibition movement, mm-hmm. in, into into temper, the, what they call the Temperance League. Did you guys yeah. have Temperance League in your church? No. Well, I know I'm older than you. Okay. So, I've heard, I've read so the, about it so in, the, in, the, in the history books. Yeah. I remember reading yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. the Temperance League was a movement. It's you know, it wasn't necessarily you know, it, it kind of ended up being a movement of really angry church women, but it you know, it's but it was actually an effort to to stamp out 
alcohol, you know, because these women were seeing, you know, were being abused by their husbands. They were being hurt. They were, you know, seeing all this problem with alcohol. So they started put, they go, started going to churches and started pulling churches into it. And mm-hmm. you would have temperance speakers, temperance mm-hmm. league speakers. So it was like a parachurch mm-hmm. thing. And they would come in, and man, some guy would come in and just bring down the fire and brimstone about alcohol and just basically threaten everybody in there with hell if you, you know, if you drink NyQuil at night. You know, so it's just, I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, there, so there's that. That's what I grew up with. I also grew up in, in you know, in a family. I had, a, you know, my uh, grandparents and, you know, some problems in their in their history with alcohol, really bad, destroyed their family, mm-hmm. tore up their lives. Mm-hmm. It did a lot of damage to people that I loved. I lost a grandfather uh, to, to health issues b- because of, you know, alcohol-related issues. Mm-hmm. I have never, I, and, and I have, you know, I have dealt with, you know, I, I played clubs for five years. You know, I, I started, I started drinking uh, when I was 16 years old. I mean, I went through a couple of years of really, really problems with with that too. So I had to pull away from that. I am anti-alcohol. I'm anti having a drink of wine with with a meal. I am anti, you know, I am just not for it. So. But I have history. I have I have issues. I have yeah. you know my issues with it, and 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 I would I would be if somebody came to me and said, well you know I want to be the pastor, but you know I, you know I'm I'm going to have a hard time, and I have a hard time. Listen, I have a hard time standing up, and I cannot take the Bible, and stand up in the pulpit and say, thou shalt not drink. I can't yeah. do that. Now, yeah, honestly, because it doesn't say. Have that, I been right. tempted to rewrite the Bible and say it says that? No, no, you know, but but. I, I, you know, it's 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 really a problem. It's a problem in our culture. You know, it's really funny. We live in a culture where you know, a few years ago in Kentucky, there was a school bus full of kids. A bunch of kids got killed in school bus. A drunk driver hit him driving the wrong way on the highway. Everybody and their brother sued the Ford Motor Company for putting out an unsafe bus. Nobody sued Anheuser Busch yeah. for putting out an unsafe beverage. What's going on? You know, and and so in our culture, this is such an accepted thing. It's such, you know, I'm sure there are people that are just you know shrugging their shoulders at me now, just going, oh, it's crazy. You know, you can't you can't not drink. I get that, but I'm just going to. What my thought is, if you're in leadership and you guys understand, you know, if if, if you came to me, you sent me a, a Facebook post from last night, and you were out with people, and you guys were hanging out at a bar and drinking. You and I would be having a—I would be canceling my plans to leave tomorrow. You and I would be having a long, hard conversation, and, and it would not end well. I mean, that's because, again, in, in leadership, I just we can't do that. Mm-hmm. We cannot let our guard down on that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I'm going to—you know, my, my sense is, you know, I know that, that the times are changing. I know beliefs about this are changing. I'm not— ready to throw somebody out of the church because they drink and I'm not beating you know I'm not doing that I'm not beating that drum I'm trying to say in leadership there is a different level mm-hmm. of responsibility I will say here this elevates above you know I think that that we need to be above reproach here to the point that no you know we're not going to lead here's the problem you know here's the problem this this is a, a Christian freedom issue there are people in this church who struggle with this issue I, I ask people sometimes when you post something online that involves alcohol, do you not have alcoholic friends? Hmm. Do you have no friends that are alcoholics that, that, that will look at that and struggle because, oh, well, well, I guess if it's okay for them, maybe a drink is okay for me, and it's not okay for them. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have an alcoholic and do you love them? Then, 
you know, do we really have to show people? That's see, I got a whole different sermon going here. But I, you know, I I just want to say in leadership, to me, it's just better to say, just don't, just don't. Now this says be drunk, you know, don't be a drunkard. Well, sure. I get that, and that that leaves room for. Can you drink socially? Well, some guys say it's okay, and there's some guys that are, that are fine with that. Some denominational groups are good with that. Some are not. I get that, and I sound really legalistic here, and I, but I hope I also sound passionate well, about my, this. My issue so. is the heart underneath it for a pastor yeah. specifically yes. because, I mean, I'm of a younger generation, and mm-hmm. a lot of my peers who I went to seminary with would actually take up this fight, though, and oh, yeah. they would argue oh, yeah. for yes. why it was okay oh, sure, sure. and why it was acceptable. Sure. And I'm like, what's what's in your heart that you're arguing for this position mm-hmm. that you should be able to drink? Mm-hmm. What What's the well, benefit? you watch. I'll get more email on that than yeah, anything. Yeah, it's like, why, 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 are, we, why are we <laughs> pushing? Well, yeah. yeah, he gets the emails. Yeah, so email. It's, why are we pushing for that, though? Yeah. Like, yeah. why are we pushing for a license as a pastor? Yeah. It's like, listen, when you jumped into ministry... You gave a lot of your licenses up. Mm-hmm. You you gave a lot of the freedoms that you could have as just a standard church member. Yeah. But because you became a pastor, you, you're under a higher well, scrutiny. And again, why? And why? Again, why are we making an issue of it? And, and you know, when obviously in in scriptures, it's, it's a cultural thing. Yes, it is. In our culture, I I can assure you of this: it's more of a problem than in most cultures around the world today. Mm-hmm. And, and and part of that is you know we I mean we superpower our drinks we superpower alcohol I mean you know it's this is not just like you know when you read about wine in the Bible it was wine it was it was fermented drink but it was not like we make wine today I mean you know you go to Gallo mm-hmm. wines I mean you go to some of these things and you go wow I mean this it's superpowered stuff so you know you kind of go okay we have a different kind of problem. And and we also see younger people mm-hmm. in our culture with the problem than than they see in other cultures. So, you know, I, I get it, and I really don't want. I mean, there's a whole wow. There's so many things that we could unpack with that. But but I'm just saying, zeroing in on the leadership piece, um, I would say be very very cautious mm-hmm. about this issue because it is a major problem. And again. Uh, you know, we've got guys in churches that are friends of mine in this area mm-hmm. that, that do drink. They're pastors. They drink. They talk about it in the pulpit. They show pictures of it. I get that. And I'm not condemning anybody. I'm really not. And, and I'm, I know I sound like just a little legalistic old man. I get that. And I kind of am on that on that particular count. But I just really, again, I, I, it's hard to be on one side where I'm where I'm spending a whole lot of time counseling drinking problems in the counseling room. Mm. And then come out here and go. I'm okay. It's okay with it. I'm, I'm fine with it as your pastor. So I can't do both. I can't yeah. be consistent that way. Well, and and I think what you did with you know the the arrogant and quick tempered, mm. or a drunkard or violent. Drunkard or violent. Well, and again, like, here's what we go. We go from we go from alcohol to, you know, to domestic abuse. Very yeah, easy. Very jump. quick. And and it happens all the time. It's not an accident. And I'm yeah. sure it's not an accident that those two words are kind of slammed up against well, each other. And just so. in general, just this goes back to the, you know, all my life I've heard, if, if you're trying to determine where you cross the line right. to becoming a sin, mm-hmm. you should be as far away from the line. Yeah, as instead of, well, let's see how close we can get to the edge, just how yeah. far is back this okay? Is this a okay? sin? Yeah. Can I, yeah. do can I this? get away with this? And yeah. it's just like, yeah. as a pastor especially, if you're called to be above reproach, you should, you should do everything in your power to be as far away yeah. from yeah. that, anything that might yeah. even resemble... Um, a stumbling block to somebody yeah. else. 
you know. Well, I just think, again, I think we have a culture problem. I ask our leadership here, our deacons don't, you know, I ask you, I'm just asking, don't drink, guys. I don't want you, I don't want you to be seen to. I don't want people to see you drinking because, again, you're leaders. That Mm -hmm. means people are following you and Mm -hmm. they're looking at you and you're influencing them. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you got to be careful with this. I ask our guys just, you know, I know it's legalistic, you know, throw the, throw the book at me. But I'm going to stand on this one and say I would prefer you not. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we stand here. But uh, that's been where I've been as a leader. That's not necessarily where everybody's going to be. But let's talk about get greedy for gain, okay? Um, greedy for gain. Now, everybody, everybody's going to There's nothing wrong with going, you know, at some point you're going to have a conversation with a pastor about this is how much we will pay you to come here and be the pastor. Um, you know, the fact that you know, I, I had a, I was in on a search committee with a with a with a, a denominational organization one time, and we brought a guy in, and I mean we stretched as hard as we could stretch to get to. I think we offered him about ninety thousand dollars, which is a lot, because it was more than the last guy had made. And this guy, you know, we were we were kind of trying to reach him. We really wanted him, and then we you know we just said, hey, we can do ninety. He said, I was thinking more like one hundred and eighty. This was over. 10, 15 years ago-ish. Wow. And that's a lot of money 10 to 15 years ago. Not as much today, but it was a lot of money then, you know, <laughs> where you just saying. go, really? <laughs> truly, you know, wow, you know, you understand, you know, we're prepared to pay you half that, you know. Yeah. And and I'm not saying, it, you know, I'm not saying, well, you know, if that's where your debts are and your everything, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But at the end of the day, how do you determine whether somebody's great? I mean, the fact that they expect to be paid. I mean, Paul said, you know, the, I mean, the labor's worthy of his hire. You know, I mean, you you show double honor. You you take care of people that are preaching the labor and the word. I get that. But where do you draw the line and go, yeah, that's just, man, that's just a little. I mean, that's number one. You don't want to pay somebody out of line with the community, mm-hmm. you know, and the church that they're in. You don't do that. I mean, that's just not mm-hmm. smart to do that. So how do you determine whether or not somebody's greedy? What is what does that look like? You know, are they are they always grasping? You know, and it's not just don't go don't just go with well they they want they have more they have a lot of money. Some of the greediest people I have ever known, guys, are guys that had no money. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, I mean I had a pastor friend and bless his heart he's a good guy but he struggled for money and the church that he was in was not paying much. And and but he was continually resentful of people who had critical of people who had money and mm-hmm. you know and it just it's I mean bitter. there were things that he would do I'm just going really you know but again his greed was it's not because he, he had a lot it's because he didn't have it and he wanted it mm-hmm. so you know there's there's that side of it so you know you you have to make sure you know I mean it's not that there's not. It's not that you should not have an income in ministry. You you surely should. But, you know, the question is if it looks like, man, all you want is money here, yeah, we don't want you because that guy's going to have temptation on top of temptation to have to deal with. There's a hard balancing act because, you know, you don't want the guy to just get loaded doing church work. Sure. I don't don't think that's right. Sure. But, you know, and and as youth pastors— I mean, most youth pastors don't last long in their mm-hmm. position at churches. The tenure of a youth pastor is much shorter yeah. than other positions. And part of that, I would argue, not entirely, but part of that is because the church doesn't pay youth pastors in general, mm-hmm. you know, and so then they get married, then they have kids, and then the 
the amount that they started at no longer pays bills and feed mouths. And so mm-hmm. they're just kind of looking for somebody else to give them an opportunity. And yeah. so yeah. It, there is a balance where you don't want the guy to get loaded, but you do mm-hmm. want to be faithful to him and his family. So. Yeah, and I think, you know, go ahead, Dan. I was just going to say, especially for people listening to this, like it, it has become an issue. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, maybe it's always been an issue. You mm-hmm. could speak to that. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like in the last five or ten years, like how much the pastor makes has become an issue for people. Yeah, preachers yeah. and sneakers, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, so, you know, well, it, it's and, it's, what, and I think part of it is one of the, it is, comes down to this verse, really. It, yeah. is, is the pastor doing this for money? Is this yeah. one of his motivations? Uh, is this what's driving him to get paid a certain salary? Because ultimately, if there is a pastor at whatever church and that person is humble and generous and giving, then whatever amount that the yeah. church is paying him should not be an issue because he's probably going to give most of that away, either give right. it back to the church it's, or give it, give and, it and, someone and, else. And, so. and let's go back to verse 7 where it says, for an overseer as God's steward. You know, we are stewards, and, and the reality is, you know, the ultimate judge of our stewardship is God, not right. people. Mm-hmm. You know, now, in our church, you know, I don't set my salary range. Y'all don't set your salary range. We have committees and people mm-hmm. made up of the church body that do that. You know, our, our personnel and finance committees do that mm-hmm. kind of work for us. So we, we have, you know, we have people that are kind of filtering that so it keeps things where it's it seems fairer and, and a little bit more realistic. There are a lot of these churches that we're hearing about, we're talking about here, are churches where the senior pastor makes the determination, this is how much I'm going to get, this is how much you get. You know, but, yeah. and they started out, maybe he planted the church, and they and so he was bringing, that's, well, I'll pay you this safe. much if you'll come in. So it's not safe, and and I think that's something I've never wanted to do. I'm not, you know, I just never wanted to get yeah. that involved. I can't even I can't even sign checks in this church. I don't have I don't have <laughs> check signing responsibility. I don't want anything to do with money. Don't bring me an offering envelope. I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to touch your money. I don't want anything. I stay right. as far away from it as possible. Possible. I look at the stewardship report, and that's about my extent, which you get to do the same. So I'm not, you know, I don't have any special insight into our money, uh, and and I'm not, you know, but but I, I get where greed is something because it there are there are ways to abuse financial positions in churches. Let me hurry along. We're about out of time. I know. Uh, hospitality um, is, is a huge piece of this. You know, I. Some people have asked me questions about Cam. You know, what can you know? Cam Booth lived with you for like three years. What you know? What's up with that? Part of that, honestly, uh, was was it came to me at a time when the Lord was dealing with me, with me about hospitality. I mean, it really was about this particular. I've read, I've read that. I'm going, man, that hospitality bothered me because I've always been very protective of my home and family. I want a bear. You know, I'm going. Oh, I got church around here. You know, I, I've, I want to protect my wife, my kids. I want them to have, you know, their 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 world here where it's not, you know, this porous line between, you know, what, you know, what uh, the the outside world, the inside, that kind of thing. And I've always kind of done that. And and I, I really started getting convicted about that. You know, during her, Pam's illness, we had a lot of people in and out of the house and different stuff. And I just thought, man, that, you know, that's that's probably something I, I really need to lean into and think about. So when Cam came, he said. You know, I kind of need a place to live. You know, he wanted me to help him find a place to live. I said, just, man, I got upstairs. It's open. Just come and live here. I didn't think he was going to stay three. I mean, well, that was not, we kind of <laughs> negotiated that, Cam. I love you, man. But, you know, we kind of just negotiated that as we went along. But it worked out great. 
and it and it taught me. I mean, I learned about hospitality. Mm-hmm. I learned okay. So this is what this is not just invite somebody over to your house for a dinner. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just being polite. That's that's just you know, the hospitality means. And and we've got again, as I've said this before. I think the next level of evangelism for the for the church in the 21st century is we got to figure out hospitality. We got to mm-hmm. figure out how do we open our homes up to lost people yeah. mm-hmm. and let them come in and be a part of that. How do we share our life with other believers? How do we model that? How do we how do we demonstrate that? So anyway, that's just that's a whole different piece of, of things. But but you know, hospitable lover of good. I, I think that means it means good. It, it actually is in, is translated. I think King James has good men, but it's just it's just I think good thing lover of good in you know. In other words, you kind of lean more. You're you're you celebrate good things. You see good things happen. Things that are in alignment with the Word of God. You know, you're at a place where you're going. That, that, I mean, that's a good thing. Uh, does that make sense? Is that yeah? I mean, does it does it have anything to do with optimism versus pessimism? Um, I don't know. I, that's what I'm saying. It's it's a kind of a strange. It's really kind of a strange term to use. You know, I'm just going so lover of good. You know, we're we're voting for the good guy to win. I'm you know I'm not sure what we're yeah. what exactly we're talking about there, but uh, but uh, it's, maybe uh, it's seeing the good in people, like uh, and, maybe, and yeah. choosing yeah, as yeah, a yeah. pastor, be yeah. like, hey. I know this is where you at, where yeah. you're at, but yeah. this is where God's calling you, and how can mm-hmm. I help you get there? Um, yeah. Like you know the the old phrase, uh, ministry is great except for the people. Yeah. <laughs> you know some pastors they get so grumpy mm-hmm. and, and curmudgeonly yeah. about the people in the church, but it's like you know these are the people that you've been called to shepherd, and you have to love yeah. them. Yeah. Well, I mean, good could be moral, it could be you know those kind of things. Let me let me finish the last four words. I don't have time to get into them, but you know we're we're talking then about being a self controlled person, which has to do with self control. Has to do with you know the spirit of God mm-hmm. brings. That's one of the one of the gifts of the you know one of the fruit of the spirit is self control. You are able to you know, pull yourself back from things that are wrong. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. what that means. Uh, upright is upright. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you know, you're walking in a righteous way, in a righteous path. You're holy, you're disciplined. So all of those, we could probably bundle those together in some ways too. But, but anyway, and then the last word, the last verse is about just, man, you know, the person needs to be a person in the word that reads the word. You know, one of the things we, we read this survey last week about, you know, the pastors that were not, you know, didn't have Christian worldview, you know, didn't believe in creation, did not believe that there was any absolute right and wrong. And the, and the thing this, the thing that synced up with, with those statements was these pastors said, you know, we don't read the Bible. You know, we don't study the Word. We don't live, you know, we don't do that. So so this is, while this sounds really obvious, we go, well, of course, he's a pastor. He should be, you know, should, should yeah. believe the Bible. He should be able to give instruction. Yeah. But here are, you know, hundreds of senior pastors of churches around America that are going, no, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily believe everything in the Bible. I don't read the Bible. I don't, you know, I couldn't, that person, you could not sit and, and you know, make an argument for mm-hmm. why you should believe the Bible. So so while this sounds really like, well, yeah, duh, kind of thing, this is really okay. an important issue, and, and you need to make sure, is this person 
a person of the word and are they following the word? So I think two things that come up with that quickly, you know, is this person a lover of the word? What, what has been their relationship with learning and growing? Um, and and when it comes to their life, how have they been discipled at, at, you know, whatever age they became a believer? Um, but the other thing you're, you're talking about, uh, this next pastor, uh, of the church here, I mean, he's going to be faced with a lot yeah, of yeah. tough issues. Oh, well, I mean, you this know? is really, I mean, I don't, I don't say this to be cutesy. Uh, I, you know, I'm just feeling like, man, I'm not smart enough to be a pastor anymore. I, I can't figure it. You know, these issues are just coming at us so fast, and I'm going, man, I don't read that fast. You know, I can't yeah. keep up with all the stuff that you yeah. have to read just to go. I just want to stay level. I just want to be able to go. Yeah, I understand. You know, I've had people ask me questions today about stuff. I'm going. I don't really know. I don't know what that, you know, I'm really not, I'm not sure about that issue. So, you know, it's just that how do you keep up with all these things? And, you know, you guys are going to have a challenging world ahead of you, I think. But All right, well, we're done now. Thank you for listening today. We appreciate you being along with us on It's Still Good on Tuesday. And I hope it's still good for you on Tuesday today as you go through your week. And uh, we're glad that you were with us for this conversation. And uh, look forward to seeing you next time, next week. God bless you.